Hey everybody, Todd Mitchell here. Welcome back to Game Dev Breakdown. In this episode, Max Pears of CD Projekt Red. Kid you not, he is a level designer working on Cyberpunk 2077 as we speak. Not as we speak, but when we're not speaking. He's the author of Let's Design Combat, and he is the host of the Level Design Lobby podcast. So we're finally meeting some of our podcast neighbors around the block. He previously worked at Ubisoft, working on The Division, and we just have a ton of stuff to talk about, so let's get to it. Here is my chat with Max Pears. Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWriteplay.com. Boom shakalaka! My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. I thought I was Rastan. So to sort of set the table for listeners who aren't yet familiar, you are a level designer working with CD Projekt Red on Cyberpunk 2077. That's obviously very cool. Also author of Let's Design Combat, which is out now. People are starting to get there. It's pretty new, right? Yes, it released uh, just over a month ago now. Again, due to deliveries, depending where you live. It took a while for some copies to arrive, but luckily it's arrived in those hands. But yes, you know, the first book of my new series, I intend to write a few of them, just released Let's Design Combat, and I'm super excited and just for everyone knows, like I love my job. Being a level designer is one of you know, it's a dream come true very much for me. And just for the record, anything I say here though does not represent you know my current employees or previous employees. Just set the tone legally. Sure. No one gets you know anything in trouble or anything. But no, I love what I do, mate. To be chatting with you is another like honor. Just to be able for us to sit down and talk design as well. It's 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 fantastic. And yeah, the book's out. I'm sure we'll talk more about it, and I'm just very happy again just to just to be here with you, Mike. Absolutely. And as a, a podcaster, I'm finally getting to reach out to one of my fellow podcasters in the neighborhood. <laughs> I don't get to do that nearly enough. I've said in many episodes, like, I'd like to have more of the other uh, game dev podcasters on because there's never been any anything but pleasantries between all the, the developer uh, podcasters I've talked to. And so this is exciting for me, and I, I would talk a little bit about that, too. Awesome. Me too, mate. You know, hopefully I can be the one that you end up being like, never again here. Level design love has ruined everything. Be the first, you know. Now, no. we, have, now we have a rule in place about no more pie. <laughs> <laughs> this is the rivalry. Started right here. But no, you mate, actually, you, you just crossed over three years, right? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. Just this month, this month, which is yeah, insane, mate. Insane. How long have you been going on for? We, we just crossed over about two. We just did the hundredth episode. Congratulations, man. Thank you. It's it's been they say the average podcast of any kind doesn't pass like 7 episodes. Yeah, I heard that like something 7 or 14. So it's yeah. it's a weird one. And I don't know about you mate, but after doing it for so long and and getting to 100 episodes, it feels very I guess normal, not in the sense as it feels mundane to do the episodes, but more like it becomes such a part of your life. Right. It's hard to remember a time when you weren't, you know, sitting down discussing and talking game dev or on your podcast, you know. I uh, I told somebody on Twitter, I think it was just yesterday, because they were talking about burnout. And I said, oh. in secret, I've probably quit this podcast 20 different times. And I just, <laughs> I take a week off or so, and then I quietly come back and restart it because I can't imagine not doing it at this point. 
No, man, I think that's uh, it's such a good one. I mean, this is why every year, at the end of every year, I, I take the month off. Yeah. Just because, to me, it's like a new season, right? Even though I don't have season one, two, three, whatever. It, it very much, to me, feels like, okay, the year's done. What we've done in that year was amazing. Sit back, relax, catch your breath. Mm-hmm and continue for the new season up, up ahead so yeah but no it is a balance I mean how do you how do you balance that then mate you know in terms of burnout your job and doing the, the podcast it's you know it's such a funny thing last year I tried running it almost the way you would run a TV show and obviously I have no experience in that area but like I took <laughs> a like a season break which was basically the summer I took off like three months mm. and um I still found that people were finding their way to the the podcast because just like I'm sure you've noticed we'll occasionally get dominated by podcasts that quit four five, six years ago. And then, <laughs> that's fine because some of them have really great content that people love. Mm-hmm. I have no issue with that. You know, people are still watching The Godfather instead of uh, Dancing with the Stars. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's not the kind of thing you complain about, but I find that. I know when I need the break to be. And so mm-hmm. I just have to roll with it. People understand. Most people understand. Some exactly. people go like his last episode was 15 days ago. So I don't want to listen to it. Like, well, okay. You know, it is, it is a weird one where you, when you think about it, cause in the back of your mind, like you're always told consistency, consistency, consistency. And like you said, that becomes a, a worry. And then when you're watching, you know, the big players of podcasting, like Joe Rogan, who just like churn out two a day, Oh yeah! Just like, what? <laughs> how, how do I compete? <laughs> like, so it's always yeah. You got to kind of train train your mind, and you like I said, most people are very understanding and very respectful. What's the uh, what's the format on Level Design Lobby? I mean, you're a person with actual expertise, but I know you also talk to guests. So how's it work for mm-hmm. you? Uh, so like, it, it kind of comes around, and like, I kind of have different episodes. Like the start of the month, I do like a series called Essential Reading where I recommend like, other podcasts, articles, videos, anything, books that I've seen that I, you know, I'd learned from, I recommend to the readers. Then kind of the second one of the month is more kind of just a solo episode where I talk about something I've been playing or something that's on my mind design. Mm-hmm. And then finally, like the third, the fourth is kind of sometimes a Q&A, but the third's where I normally speak to uh, other developers. But I think it's, it's so interesting, again, because I think the last... Like I think the last five guests I've had now, everyone else was amazing. Just for the record, before I burn all my bridges, <laughs> but like the the last five or six that I've just been on a roll with has been so again eye opening to me because I just think there's so much in design. I'm sure you know this as well, mate. That makes design. So to be able to to see another perspective and see how different. Like if you will work at different studios, they will kind of focus on different elements of design and how that shapes someone's career too. Mm-hmm. And I think that is always fascinating because you know I'm very much aware no matter what I do, I will never learn everything about level design, no matter how hard I try. Sure. Many games that I will work on, I will never know it all. So just to hear different people's expertise is always you know, I get as much out of it as a listener does. And that's always the, the funnest, funnest part for me, you know, so always great. That kind of uh, leads nicely into your book, Let's Design Combat, which you just mm. mentioned is going to be the first in a series. Yes. Uh, and I kind of didn't know. I thought that's a, a very interesting, specific 
uh, area to <laughs> to write a full book about, which is cool. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me access to the book so I could look it over before our chat. Uh, oh, the the things I can tell listeners about the book who haven't checked it out yet is it's it's almost like you get to go into a studio with brilliant designers and get to just sort of pick their brains for the day or something like that. It's almost like if there was a, a shared knowledge document inside a studio with little tidbits, like if you're in this situation, <laughs> keep these things in mind. And I can't imagine it's, it's a pretty unlike any design book I've looked at in that regard. So it's very cool. Thank you very much, mate. That was something that, again, I really wanted to to focus on was to how to deliver the information. And I think, as you know yourself, like I'm sure you've experimented in different ways with your podcast episode duration. You know how you talk. Yeah. It's all this about how we, you know, present ourselves and present the information. And I thought to myself back when when I was at university studying for games that you get told to read these books and they're all you know super thick, like a Tolkien novel. And Tolkien's <laughs> a phenomenal writer. But just to see that, like when you're trying to reference something, and I noticed a lot of other designers who wrote books. Because like we just mentioned earlier, there's so much that goes into making design choices that you try to kind of want to put everything inside it. But that comes to a detriment at some point. And also the same with like, I didn't want to just take screenshots of other games because all these games do it amazingly. But with the fantasy level design and you have things like Blocktober coming out very soon and all these aspiring level designers, I don't want them to feel that in order to make levels for a portfolio that they have to hit a finished quality bar of content, you know, they, that they can just show the block out. So I really wanted to put that in there as if this is a block out, the early stages, you can read those pages and just instantly translate it across to that of, you know, of what's in the book. So yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to get that right. And, you know, it, it turned out brilliant. So I'm really glad that you, you really liked that mate because that was definitely one of the design goals of the book it's uh it's so visually informative uh, and to sort of describe that it sort of looks like uh, like a prototype stage uh, mm. you know each thing has its own illustration who helped you do that because that that came across fantastically yeah so there was four of us in total with the book which is crazy to think how many so i had myself then we had uh, Alex Partridge, who did the overall like layout of the book. We spoke about how we wanted to make it look like an editor. That's why if you look at the illustrations, you have stuff like the icons in the top right. So if you've opened Unity, Unreal, or any other game engine, that'll instantly be recognizable. And then for the illustrations, there's a friend of mine named Yulita, and she worked on with me on Cyberpunk, as well as Dying Light and gone on to other games and she is she's just a great person i love to work with we work together on certain levels and you know the chemistry is amazing for that and i just couldn't imagine anyone better for that so as soon as i started writing the book she was the first person i contacted and you know it just just caught wind and it was yeah phenomenal look she did a phenomenal job very cool how how broad a set of designers how broad is that group that could benefit from this book? I mean, obviously if somebody's mm. working on their own shooter, that's fantastic. A lot of great things for them. Uh, small to medium teams definitely can, you know, do you see indies taking things away from this? I saw a few things that I thought 
if I was a competitive pl- player of like Call of Duty or something, I would want some of these things in mind. You talked about things like, uh, you know, visual sight distance and, and you know, yeah. different angles and stuff like who do you have in mind for this book? Uh, so the way that I view it is mainly because I hadn't thought about the competitive side. That's a really interesting like thought process on it that mate. For for me, I had it in mind for like aiming from between aspiring you know students all the way up to like a mid range level designer, and mm-hmm. the size of the project can vary as long as there's combat in terms of range combat. I think you know no matter your camera angle, there are so many of these rules that you can take from and apply to anything from whether it be isometric, third person, first person, you know, even some sort of strategy games, you can still take away elements from that and place it in with different kind of, say, uh, units using these rules to help set advantage. So I think it's a broad scope. If you're more of a senior, it might be used just more as a refresher. But overall, you know, again, for for students to your mid-range level designer and any size of studios, I think, who would would really benefit from the book yeah for example there there were probably 10 different elements of different ways to use and vary cover in a you know like just Mm. being behind cover the the height of the cover you know uh cover compared to the type of enemies in the level like it really broke things down in a way i think i think some developers fall into the trap on the indie side outside of like triple a gaming like we think about design as something we have to stop and do like it's so broad and so deep that y- you can almost fall into a trap of going like design is just whatever I make this game to be, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it definitely may. I, I think this is a thing because I knew, for example, that combat wasn't one of my strongest suits and it was something that I knew I wanted to get better at. I was just like, Right, well, how can I do this? And I was looking online, there wasn't any books. There's a few few articles out there that I thought really kind of broke it down in a more easy build, like digestible way. And then obviously I started to get better and I started to understand what I was doing, how my levels had gotten better. What was it that I was focusing on to make them more enjoyable? And that, that's kind of how the, the process or the thought process of making this is, okay, I've learned a lot. Let me try share this in a in a new exciting way because I said one of the things I want to do with the book as well and hopefully it's done it is to present it in a way that you know we haven't seen other books been done before because in in layman terms it is a picture book you know for that but the (laughs) the reason it is a picture book is because it's it's going to grab your attention you can flick through this book anytime that you want if you're like oh man I've got this combat oh there's something there you can revisit instantly quickly and you know, it's just so you can literally take those layouts on the page and block them out into your level and it will, you know, show the points instantly. Yeah. Even even pictures of the book that I saw on Twitter grabbed my attention. I was like, oh, look at this. That's a nice, you know, because uh, I do some some writing and I'm, I'm looking toward, uh, you know, hopefully putting out a book later. I thought this is exactly awesome. the kind of thing like nice, flashy covers like this. I love that. They're the things yeah. that grab your attention on a bookshelf. I, I, I'm a sucker for that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, if you ever wanted to talk about, you know, I can tell you more about my book process when when the time comes mate, and give you some suggestions on house do it if you if you ever want me i love that and we've already done uh such 
fantastic uh, knowledge sharing since we started talking. Like I appreciated the morning we talked about like, well, we're both doing podcasts. Like how does, <laughs> how does this part strike you and what's your experience here? And, and it's encouraging to hear people with like similar problems or who have mm. found tricks for like other things where they are getting better results. I love talking to people about stuff like this. Yeah. Man. And it, again, sometimes you just don't realize that just changing one thing could have the biggest impact and you have no idea until you make that change. Right. And, and, and the moment after that, you go, oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the worst bit is you're like, why didn't I see that? I didn't figure so, that out for 12 months. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> new concepts, one mm. thing in this book jumped out at me and I researched it after that. And I, I've, I will never look the same way at level design again. The concept of weenies. Oh, that you right. wrote about. I was like, using what to navigate? And yeah. sure enough, and I started searching it and I looked back like all the way back to the origins of that term. So for for listeners who are like, what are you even talking about right now? The concept when did this podcast of podcast get X rated. That's what we're gonna be asking. <laughs> what what it means is landmarks and maps that will help the player navigate, like create a familiarity as they're trying to navigate this this level especially things in like open world situations where you may be returning to a place several times and you need things to help you mentally navigate. But this did not apparently did not come from design in this aspect. It came from like architectural design and there's a story that it traces back to Walt Disney himself (laughs) where, where he was such a fan of his, uh, his parks, hot dogs or whatever that he, you know, started calling those weenies. And so the architects, would plan things like Cinderella's castle is going to be visible from this street. And, you know, you can Mm. see it from here and here, and then you'll know where you are. It helps orient the player in game design. I had never heard that used that way. And as soon as I searched it, I thought I'm the last person to find this out, I guess, (laughs) because there's a ton of of stories, you know, articles that use it and uh, tutorials, primers, weenies, everybody look into it. There you go. Yeah. It's uh... (laughs) a, It's so funny as well when you think about it. I always think about like with different designers because the weenie term is definitely more used in American companies I have found versus European. And it's just, again, when I first heard the term, I was like, excuse you? And it's just one of those ones where you're like, oh, right, okay. Because like we, we would refer to them as landmarks, but again, uh, and that different would, people's weenies. I would have immediately had the context and understood what you meant. But yes, here... Yeah we place a ton of value on our hot dogs. And so the, <laughs> the, the, the weenie concept, I guess also resonates with us, but so, yeah. so tons of cool stuff like that. And I have to wonder where does the series go next from here? Yeah, mate. So next year, quarter, quarter one of next year, I'm hoping around about February, but I don't want to fully commit to that until I know more mm-hmm. uh, is when I intend to release the second book of the series which is focused will solely be that on traversal and exploration really kind of focusing how you guide players through your levels how do you increase you know uh, enjoyment as you just move from left to right or from A to B and that's the kind of next plot for the, the second book and the third book is going to be about stealth is what I'm thinking so we're aiming between three to six books in total but you know there's still still a few things we want to nail down but yeah so that's kind of where we're going first three i think will be done by the end of next year and then from there we'll kind of look and reassess where is it we want to take the series so i just want it to be like 
bite-sized books for each individual topics. That way, again, it's completely focused. You know where to get the information from. Displayed in a very eye-grabbing, easy, digestible format. And again, it just becomes something that hopefully young students you know, young LDs or just overall designers, passionate, you know, hobbyists or indie devs can just grab and be instantly, you know, relate to and learn from. It, it seems like you've pinned down a formula that people are very thirsty for. Like the people I've seen talk about the <laughs> book on Twitter were like, I'm so glad this got here. I've been waiting for this. This is exactly what I want. So that seems to be a very positive indicator. I mean, I, it, it seems like the series is going to do well. I hope so, mate. And it's been just like I said, just beautiful because I'm sure you know when you first launch your podcast as well, you know when you've been working on it for a while and you're like, God, I hope people like this because you never <laughs> know. You're excited, you're nervous. You don't know if it's going to you know, take off or fall. And so, yeah, to see that people overall have enjoyed it and are passionate about it. <laughs> hey, buddy. Yeah, we're, we're going to go upstairs in just a little bit, okay? Okay. Okay, thanks, pal. Sorry about that. There's my son. It's all good. <laughs> all good. Just the guest stars. Yeah, I'm not even the real guest here. I'll wait for him to show up. He's, he's uh, done a cameo in two episodes recently now, but... Uh, <laughs> My wife offered. My wife works overnights, and she offered to get up and, and hang out with him. I said, "Oh, don't do that. That that'll never work." You know, we're we have big time difference between you and I, and then she does overnights, so she's closer to your hours than mine, probably. Oh wow! So yeah. I said, "He can hang out with me." The world works on Zoom now. Everybody's got kids nearby, and you know, exactly. pets and things. So that's just the way of the world. But uh, yeah, man. <laughs> speaking of, uh, you know sort of where your focus is on design, where your focus was for this book throughout your design career. And it doesn't really have to be pertaining to anything you do right now, but I mean, how much do you tend to specialize as a designer? Do you really focus in on a, I, I'm sure it depends on the size of your team, but how specific do you normally get and focus? So yeah, it really depends on team size. So back when I worked at Ubisoft, I was more technical level design. So working more on the scripting kind of elements yeah. And, you know, that was kind of a very specialized role with, with that because I wasn't doing as much of the layouts. As I said it was more to do with the scripting itself until I moved off into the expansion for Division Underground, where I was more a traditional role of level design, creating the layouts mm -hmm. and taking the, the information from the technical level design team to script and make our, our levels. So... It can go so specialized, but generally best practice in most companies is you will do your blockouts and you will hopefully script the overall like encounter and pacing of your levels too. So that's kind of how it will roughly go. And that, just because it gives you a much broader kind of knowledge. I know some, some studios work differently where you just do the blockouts or you might just do paper design or others, you know, you're just solely scripting. I know like Rockstar is very much... They let the artists and architects, they're like urban planners, create the city. And the level design is more focused on scripting what happens in the city. So, yeah, very different. But I like to try to do both. If I can do scripting and uh, blocking out, that's you know where I'd like to go. But again, if you've got a bigger team, you will tend to divide your team up to help you facilitate different people's like passions for level design as well as the project's needs like some will focus solely on combat others will focus more on the technical and the scripting side others will be able to help out more with say uh storytelling and environment art so there's you know 
there is specialisms for it. But again, if it's, it's best to try to keep general for a lot of your career, just so you can get an overall knowledge of it all. But it can go very, very specific. It's interesting to me because I think there's a perception of designers from outside your level, outside AAA, where mm. people go, people picture design and they picture a person, maybe not even the marker in their hand, just kind of gesturing at a whiteboard, not even writing on it. And like, <laughs> here's what I think it should be, and someone else go make it happen. And it sounds like you're at a much lower level than that. Where you know, really in there, it's <laughs> sort of getting your hands dirty a little bit and thinking. Uh, at least planning at a much more detailed technical level than what like the average person who goes, <laughs> I want to make a video game and I'll be a designer because I have this one idea. Yeah, that's an idea. It's never going to get you too far if you don't put in the work for it. But yeah, that's, it's a very common misconception. You know, the amount of people that come to me and be like, my son, or I've got a great idea, <laughs> especially when beer comes out. I, for some reason, that's the, the time where people love to tell me their great ideas. <laughs> um, like over, overall yeah so again different roles I know that was kind of how it once was shall we say like back in the say the 80s but now we've yeah. got you know much better technology with that and you had stuff like Doom really pushing forward with their engine to go off and make the 3D levels and now you've got stuff like Unity on Real 4 and, and many other engines who allow you to construct your spaces and that's it and another thing that we, we notice is a lot of times people will get confused between environment art and level design now environment art is that of making the world that you as the player explore extremely beautiful you know eye-catching and making you feel very lived in but for me as a level designer my role is to block it out so it looks not particularly very good you know <laughs> But it plays well. It's fun to go explore. The combat's engaging. You know, we pace around when that big Michael Bay explosion may be, or those more somber moments. And that's kind of you know our role in it. And for anyone who wants to learn more about it, there is uh, uh, an event happening very soon. You'll see it on Twitter called hashtag Blocktober, which is created by Michael Barkley, I believe. And that's just showing you the very early stages in all games whether it be Uncharted, Santa, Monica, uh, Santa Monica's God of War and, and many others games that have taken part in this showing you how a level looked before the environment artists came around and helped to make that area you know, extremely beautiful. That's incredible because we have also done an episode recently where we talked to the founders of uh, a place called Kitbash 3D which Oh, okay. Those guys were great. Like they they started a company that develops high-end assets for not just games but like TV and film as well. Mm. So, I can't imagine how much fun it would be to run a startup like that, but they they've really done a lot of community work where they just tr they try to get uh every once in a while they'll put free assets in the hands of like just anyone who wants them and go go out and you know sort of block out your own worlds and levels and stuff. Yeah. And so if somebody grabbed the right kit from those guys because they've usually got something available for free just to mess around yeah. with and really got ready for something like this, uh, Blocktober and, you know, hearing, yeah. hearing from some designers, people who really know you could really learn a lot just by tinkering during that, during that time. Oh, for sure, mate. And I think that's another, another thing that we've seen people do now is they'll make their block outs in these editors and then they'll go, someone like an artist will, they'll team up with them. And they'll take that and then just make it beautiful. 
And yeah, it, it's a great way to build a portfolio. It really is a smart way. And if you can get a small team together, excuse me, sorry, but I do mean like a small team, like two people. Yeah. Man, you can do some amazing stuff out there. Some incredible stuff. It's it's never been so approachable, I don't think. Mm. You know? yeah, exactly. So probably not a bad time to move into your background. Um, you know, mm. you mentioned earlier that you studied games in school. What was the story there? What did you actually go for? Yeah, so uh, I always knew I think I wanted to make games. You know, some of my earliest memories of my, is my father and my uncle playing PlayStation in front of me, Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> and when I started to get into high school, luckily there was a programming club. And this is near the end of my time at high school. Sadly, it had been put together. But I learned how to make flash games. And, you know, my very first flash game was essentially there was asteroids falling. You pressed a button to go left or to go right to just try to dodge the asteroids. <laughs> Simple, but just, you know, it was a fun little one to feel like you've made something. And then I applied to go to Teesside University, which is an amazing, uh, amazing uni. Had some incredible, you know, teachers, but also events. They put on a, uh, an event called Animex, which is yearly. And they brought around some amazing industry talent all around the globe. And that's how I actually started to network with a friend of mine now called Andrew Willens, who was a senior game designer at the time in Ubisoft. And that's how I started to make connections. And, you know, after, I, after my second year, I had a, uh, a sandwich year where I went to work on this, at this uh, studio called Fog Media, which made mobile and online games. And that's where I started to build my portfolio. I learned more about programming, and that was such a great, uh, a great experience. I wish, you know, I wish I knew more. I still, I'm still know a little bit, but by no means am I a phenomenal programmer at all. But after that, I went back to finish my uh, my degree. Oh, sorry, just before that, there's a competition called Dare to Be Digital, which is hosted up in Scotland, which is a great opportunity. And I, I don't know if it goes on anymore. They essentially fund you and a team of five to make a game over nine weeks, which you can then present, and then it would actually get nominated for like an up-and-coming BAFTA award. Hmm. And we we made it from 150 teams that applied down to 15, and we were the first ever to make it from our university. It was amazing. We sadly did not get to the shortlist, but hmm. you know I'm still bitter. I'm, you know, just still bitter. <laughs> it's still a sore heartbreak. Spot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I still cry every night for it. <laughs> but no, it was a great experience. Got to work with some amazing people. And then we went back to finish my degree. But luckily, because of my year in industry, as well as doing this, I'd built up a, a portfolio, a strong portfolio of finished products that were out there in the market. I also had, like I said, learned some, some programming along the way and was able then to go off and you know join through networking, be able to go join the amazing team at Ubisoft. That's how it all came to be. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. 
$1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. That's very cool. Um, So you are in Poland now. Is that right? Yes, correct. And you'll have to forgive me. Like a lot of these names, you know, that you mentioned in your story, like, I don't know where these things are. Like (laughs) how far around do you like move around or have you always stayed in one place? Uh, I've moved around a a fair bit. I mean, this is the first time I've moved internationally from the UK to Poland. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's my, my first journey there, but I've been here for about coming up. Well, by the end, by say December, it'll be four years here in Poland. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I've moved around a fair bit. Now, obviously, the UK is tiny versus that of you know, North America, but <laughs> still did a bit, a bit of traveling around. So it's been fun. And that's why I always like tell people is I like, really take take these opportunities because I've been fortunate with the podcast and with the games to go around the world and do talks about either you know level design or games that I'm working on and got to see many different amazing countries, places, and different people because of it. And I... I didn't know that was going to be part of making video games, but it has been, and it's been you know, an incredible experience. That's so funny, because the two other times I've heard that said were when I talked to Jordan Lemus, who I mentioned earlier, who did work for mm-hmm. Ubisoft. He started in California here in the U.S., had to go up to Canada, and um, I also heard that from the guys who worked at Gearbox, who worked on Borderlands 3, yeah. They they said, particularly Joshua Davidson, who worked on audio, he said, I finished school and I had this thirst to basically go out and see the world, move around. I didn't want to, you know, hunker down in one place. But once he got to Gearbox, they had a bunch of long term, you know, people who stayed a long time, that stability that he didn't really expect. He said, I, I just wanted to be a game industry guy who just went all over the place. So the, the people who seem to succeed at, at your level do seem to have that desire to roam and see things, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's all inspiration. You know, we get to take things from our, our world, our day-to-day life and, you know, experience it and see different cultures, how different people work. You know, I, I got to go to China and hopefully I remember this. I think it's the number five or it's the number seven. Someone will have to correct me and I do apologize. But they believe it's such an unlucky number that the floor is removed or not labeled, you know, if it goes one, two, three, four, six, seven, if the number was five. And because it's such a superstitious number that it's bad luck, 
And that to me was like, what? Like I couldn't even fathom that for a second. That it just gone to that that belief that there isn't even a fifth or seventh floor in <laughs> in their in their hotels. It was it was insane, but a new fact I got to learn. If you can believe this, we have a version of that too. Uh, oh no way! It, what it's is usually it? the 13th floor is missing from particularly old buildings, especially. <laughs> we eventually oh, wow. moved past it. this and went, you know, we're not going to skip a building just because. Because then what do you even call the building? Is it a 24 story building or is it technically 23 or, you know, but <laughs> and then like the bottom two floors are like there's like ground lobby basement. You don't really know how many floors this building is at all. Yeah. But, but we did have a version of that. And I didn't learn that until I was in my teens, maybe my early twenties, I went, what is this? And like, Oh, it was, it's unlucky. And nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to go to a hotel and stay on the 13th floor because they thought that would be where they ran into a ghost. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the concern is. I would have been a very unlucky kid. My birthday's on the 13th. I think I would have been disowned during those times. I'm considered a witch. You might've been given away or something. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) <laughs> that's um but yeah the the travel element is is really cool for the people who really feel inclined to do that i grew up in mm. the the immediate area that i'm in i enjoy short-term travel like i mm. i've had the opportunity to go see uh dublin i, I love to to visit dublin uh-huh. we've gone down to mexico and just a variety of different places i really do like seeing the world i don't want to stay in the rest of the world necessarily mm. So for that reason, I, I ended up working in like non-game commercial software and my, my development is all on the side during the weekend and, you know, at night, you know, (laughs) so (laughs) it's like you said, this is a big country and most developers, most people who are fans of game development do not have that opportunity because all of the game industry scenes are focused in three or four different areas. Yeah. So that's why indie is so big around here. And, and of course in a lot of smaller nations and stuff, places where the uh, economy doesn't support a lot of game development, stuff like that. But Poland doesn't have that. Poland has kind of a thriving development scene, right? Yeah. Well, it's changed massively over the last 10 years or so because it's it's grown a lot more. There's a lot more. So indie, smaller, and your your big ones are CD Projekt Red and Techland is the the two the two big ones. But I know that there was you know uh, Activision has opened a studio around here as well, mm-hmm. and, and and others. I, I think other studios were looking, but I don't know if it, if they've moved over here yet. But yeah, it's grown massively over the last ten years, and I think it's great because, funnily enough. When uh, Barack Obama came to visit Poland, their gift to him was a copy of Witcher 3 to <laughs> represent like their culture, because obviously Witcher 3 is very heavily based on Slavic culture. I'm moving and my again, notes over to this monitor real quick because I had that in my notes to bring up. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if you were like around Poland at the time or if, if you had heard that. I'm sure you heard, heard that. Yeah, yeah. I love I, that story. I, yeah, there's a picture of it, I think, actually in the office. So <laughs> it's I'll a bet, really surreal. Yeah very surreal moment for it but like again just showing how games is really being much more appreciated here in in, in Poland and becoming more mainstream and amazing you know people like the, the, the Polish people are truly incredible people are very passionate very hard working and you know I've, like I said many of them turned it around in, in terms of like from what was very little games and built it up to now one of Europe's more thriving countries for game development so it's yeah, it's 
it's amazing to see. I, I also don't think that I will ever appreciate it enough for for what it is compared to that of a, a native Polish person to t- truly see that and be part of it because yeah. for them to, to all help and make it is must be an incredible feeling because I consider myself lucky. And I'm sure, you know, we speak about obviously game companies being more in pocketed areas of our, our home countries, mm-hmm. but they've been so prevalent there for so many years, 20, 30 years or so, if not more actually. And, you know, to see, for, for those to obviously see countries like build that up more and more, it's, yeah, truly, truly incredible experience, I think. It's it's very cool to see these things kind of grow uh, any anywhere they grow like this. And publishers are not really as slick as they they probably like to think, because I think we can all tell exactly what's going on when, like, let's take uh, Montreal, for example, in Canada. And, you know, Ubisoft has been there forever. And then mm-hmm. Activision goes like, hey, we're, we're opening an office here. <laughs> so if uh, you ever want to look around, <laughs> you know, um, it's good for the scene. And, and these people, I think they tend to be largely friendly between one another. But I think it's very obvious what's going on. Because usually the big companies like we are also moving to Los Angeles across the street <laughs> from Blizzard. And, you know, so it's but it, it's a lot of fun. And it's one of the best things I think about, uh, you know, podcasting and, and covering some of what's going on in my own little tiny version of journalism. Like I've gotten to travel and see some of these places, visit a couple of these studios. And it's so fun to see up close because yeah. it's to sort of take in the culture to like go to GDC and see the people interact between the big companies and stuff. And they're all taking selfies and having a great time and high-fiving and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's such a, a unique thing. Like, like I say all the time, of, of course there are stories about like this, this company dislikes this company and these guys, these teams are really at each other's throats, but the vast majority of it is just this big celebration of what we all love, you know, yeah. th- that we all get to participate in that we never would have dreamed as kids. All we could do was dream is like, I'd like to make money through video games. <laughs> yeah. And now it's yeah. so much more approachable than we thought. For sure. I, I think those kind of feuds are kind of like, you know, a much more higher level. I speculate like everyone I've met to. I mean, when I was in when I was in L.A. for E3, me and a friend uh, called Ivan, great lad. We ended up winding uh, finding ourselves in this this party and it was just filled with all the L.A. studio devs. Hmm. I'm not going to lie. I felt so out of place because I didn't <laughs> know anyone. Like, it's, it's a whole new scene compared to what I know. Like, I'm used to different parts. And But everyone was just very friendly as soon as we got talking. Everyone was talking really, really nice. And like you said, it's, it's all for the love of video games. We all love it. We all love to make it. And we're all fans of one another. And the thing is, is the industry is so small that you're probably going to know you know, six degrees of separation, right? Someone's yeah. going to know someone you work with or vice versa. And it's, it's just a great, great big part, party to see those and to celebrate others' work. You know, I mean, and that's why I think it's great for us to do podcasts yeah. because we get to celebrate the people who make these games, the hard work that goes into them. That, you know, people don't always realize because the end product is so much fun. They don't realize the amount of hard work that goes into make them. And for us to get that chance to celebrate with them or to allow them to celebrate on, on our platforms or just with a beer is, yeah, definitely one of the, the funnest aspects for sure. Like you mentioned earlier, the inspiration for doing something like this, 
I I get to create some of the content I loved to follow. You know, I love I love yeah. reading about studios and and uh, I love following articles online and stuff. But to have a chance to sort of capture more of that and help tell that story, it's fantastic. It's it's really amazing. And you want to talk about you mentioned feeling out of place. I, I can't. <laughs> you you did get to go to school for this stuff and you got to take a year yeah. and work on some of it yourself. But I imagine getting dropped in the middle of Ubisoft. Did, did you <laughs> did you go straight to work on the division or did you do something else before that? So, like I said, I've made some mobile games prior to it. Right. So uh, and then, yeah, once I arrived, I was working straight on the division and it was uh, yeah, what, like it is an incredible experience. It was a. Uh, uh, it was a place where also though I was very lucky to have such a strong team around me. Like, sure. I think they were in total like for because multiple studios worked on Division and the refle- Ubisoft Reflections where I was, there was thirteen level designers in total, which is <laughs> the biggest LD, LD team I've ever worked in to this date. And the the amount of like skilled and talented, experienced people. I think was one of you know the most amazing things. So I just got to sit there and just learn and watch these people who you know have worked on some of the games that I loved, yeah, or some of the games that you know my family has loved, and to just sit there and just learn was incredible. Now I'm sure I made I made some bad jokes along the way. My favorite one I always love to tell it was um, so I like so I was more technical level design, and the lead of the team was named Simon Cooper, who is phenomenal man a truly amazing level designer <laughs> and he went away for one one week he'd gone over to, to massive to work with the other team mm-hmm. to you know talk and communicate about how we're going to do certain things in the process so what i did was i took a piece of paper put at the back of my mind to like temp technical lead level designer mm-hmm. and just just to send him the picture i obviously was drowning in work and didn't know what i was doing but it was a very fun moment to pull his leg. So when he came back, he's like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> it was an amazing one. But yeah, just to work on the team. And I, for me, it was, you know, I consider myself very fortunate in a way that I've only worked on new IPs. I've not worked yeah. on a sequel or anything yet. And to, to work on The Division, which, you know, before it released was a very anticipated game, very ex- yeah, very big game that was built a lot of hype around it. Now onto Cyberpunk, which again is very anticipated. So to to be part of the experiences where you're working on, well, hopefully, be a successful franchise or you know a series that's beloved by gamers. Again, it's it's a dream come true. Really, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah. This is this is really cool. Like we get to design our own rules for what the franchise will be. We get to decide. I'm, I'm part of the team that get to make those choices and learn from that and push it into whatever it will become next for, for others. So, yeah, it's a really cool experience. Yeah, absolutely. What's an example uh, just for fun? What's an example of a game that you had really loved that you got to work with somebody who like worked or contributed to that game? Because that's got to be the Ooh. best feeling in the world. <laughs> oh man, I feel so. Uh, I feel very starstruck when that stuff happens. Like I was, I was chatting to someone recently who's a guest on my podcast, and he'd worked on Dead Space, oh. and I loved that game. And yeah. I, I, I never, I didn't think I'd ever meet someone who worked on it. And then when he's like, "Oh yeah," and then I did some levels of Dead Space, I was like, "Stop! Hold on, we need to talk about this." Because I loved that growing up. Yeah. And then to to see others who've 
who've made, again, just very different games. We have a, a friend at work named Manuel who worked on um, Rhyme by Tequila Studios, a very nice kind of emotional game. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing that before he joined, joined the team. And when he came over, I was like, okay, we, we need to talk about this because I want to I pick your brain about why you, why you did all this stuff. So it's, yeah, it's always fascinating because everyone's got a different story, like the, the choices they made. And it's, yeah, it's always so cool to, to see these people and t- for their passion to still be there for you know, 10 plus years of their career and still remember the moments that they've made on certain games, certain choices. Is, yeah, it's, I'm very fortunate to pick people's brains, that's for sure. It's true. Like you can tell from interviewing somebody who's done this kind of work and, you know, achieved great things that this hits them most of the time the same way we look at it. Like they perceive it as this fantastic part of their lives that they got to participate in because those those really crystal clear memories they're able to share, you know, and the things you can read about in books that they were able to relay to authors over the course of many interviews level of, Mm. it's like you're there with the person going through it. It's really incredible. And that's, that's why I enjoy talking to indies the same way I enjoy talking to people from, from big, very successful studios, Mm. because when one person has gone through this entire experience, put together a popular game, they, oh, yeah. they, they've been through something life-changing and they've always got fantastic stories too. Yeah, I mean, indie de- developers, like a huge shout out to them because I, I know, especially with COVID right now and everything's on oh. lockdown, I don't get a chance to, to speak to many people I'm sure you know as well, sir. But it's just one of those ones where you get to, to hear their stories and the courage, in my opinion, it takes to go be indie because especially when you've got a, say, uh, some who've come from triple a studios because you have your income right you know you've built that life and if you do have kids or a partner or you know a dog or cat something that relies on your income it becomes a lot you know a lot scarier to take the plunge i was watching a documentary on the the team that did darkest dungeon and again they were just like well we had some money saved up and you're just thinking man to to take that risk on you, you know no matter how much money, say if it was even you know ten to fifteen thousand is the average price for a mobile game right now, yeah. or it was two years ago, and to financially put yourself out that just for the passion, the dream, it's so yeah, it's just so inspiring for anyone who does that. You know, complete always have my utmost respect for that. In your career so far, have you generally worked on teams pretty closely with other designers strictly, or have they been kind of like cross-discipline teams? Primarily cross-discipline teams, I think, you know, when you're working on... So when I was working on mobile games, most of the team would range from three to five people, mm-hmm. different disciplines, you know, artists, other, say, programmers on different kind of fronts because you not only had the gameplay programmers, but you had those to work on iOS and Android to help make sure it fit the platform, scale, things like that there uh, for it. And then, you know, you've got your sound designers, your animators... Many more UX designers, UI programmers as well. So there's a lot of disciplines that go into it. But what tends to happen is when you're working on a project, you'll be with your team so you know who's in charge of which section of the game. You'll communicate kind of rough guidelines, I guess, is how best to describe it for what you all believe makes a, a great insert game level, you know, division level, cyberpunk level, whatever that level may be. 
and then when you go off to work on your uh, level, you'll work with your artists, your mission designers, and just try to communicate as best as you can because no matter what size your team is, the first thing to break is always communication. That is always the thing that just disappears. Mm-hmm. So you've really got to make sure everyone's kind of on the same page. And it happens, you know, if we're saying, man, we're going to work on this level with the, the giant robot, you've got a very different version in your head of what a giant robot <laughs> is versus my, my version. So we always have to be like that, you know, red, animatronic, uh, gas-powered, bipedal robot just to help all right, narrow it down and come together. So, yeah, it normally tends to be multidiscipline, which is great because you get to learn and speak to amazing people who do incredibly different things. Yeah, that's brilliant. That, that seems like it must become an important part of the tool set when you're looking at moving between studios like Ubisoft and CD Projekt Red. I mean, they've, I'm sure they would, I'm sure big studios would love to try out, you know, hey, this person worked on a mobile game with two other people and seems like a great designer. But if you don't have that comfort working with a small team with other small teams who together make giant departments and there there's production level stuff going on, trying to manage all these moving parts, that seems like a big missing piece if you don't have that, that comfort there. So I'm sure, I'm sure that helps you, you know, score, entry into something like cyberpunk where you manage to end up yeah i mean it's, it's all about you know just common communication skills and we all know how to talk essentially that people obviously communicate different ways like i find if i'm communicating with artists it's better to more kind of get a mood board and references to show them instead of me writing a detailed you know 200 page document mm-hmm. because they're not going to want to read that they want to see kind of what the vision is but if I'm speaking to more of, say, a programmer, just cut the fluff, go straight to the point, give the kind of repo steps, be very, you know, forward with what I think is causing the issue or what I want. And that's the best way to communicate with them. So it's finding, you know, different ways to communicate with different people. But like I said, everyone's super friendly in the industry. It's, it's very rare you meet not so nice people. And, you know, it might be someone on a bad day if you do have that experience. Sure. And hopefully it won't happen again. But everyone's very friendly. So, you know, that, that makes you know, my life and other developers' lives very easy. How much did you learn about your own listening skills when you started podcasting, particularly when you started interviewing? Because if you're like me, I realized there were levels of listening I didn't even know about. And that I, I wasn't as good as it, at it as I thought. Have you had that experience? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I find it a hard line, right? Because to tell between, obviously, like I say, you're listening, when to talk, what to talk about. Like, should you just ask the questions or should you kind of bounce off each other? Every person, every year, I'm sure you know, is every guest is slightly different in how they talk and kind of what your kind of comfort level is with them as well. Because some keep it very professional others like to joke around so i definitely found that you know i I tried to step back and listen more i found that i was talking too much in my early stages of interviews just because i was excited to talk but i want to you know but i I realized that episode's about them right right and that's the the like i mentioned to you earlier the other episodes that i do in the month is just me talking they're my episodes where i can just say as much as I want but I 
It was a tough one. I mean, how did you how did you tackle the subjects, man? See, people don't think about this part because I I will write an outline generally. What I like to do is write as much as I can about almost like I was writing a short resume for a guest. You know, like mm. I've I've got it. I'll even send you the document if you want to see it. But it's <laughs> <laughs> I've got your name, your title, your big projects. And then I tried to pick out bullet points about each of the big projects I knew we were going to talk about. And, mm. you know, if you go too far down that road, I could have assumed that because you wrote Let's Design Combat, that you were a strictly combat designer. And I could have written 50 questions I wanted to ask you about combat design. Now, yeah. you probably would have done fine with that but it would have been the wrong direction to really lean that far in the discussion. And I could have thrown away 45 minutes of really good, you know, all around general discussion that we yeah. could have done. But I started this because I worked as a professional software developer. I wanted mm. to break that sort of stereotypical, like that guy's a developer. He's not the best at communicating. I, <laughs> I, I didn't want that to be my career. I wanted people to look at me and go, um, no, he's cool. Like we can talk to him. We can bring him into a meeting and he'll be okay. You know, something like that. And yeah. like I said, like I started and I realized my listening was not good at all. And, and over the course of, you know, doing enough of these, you know, I'll, I'll look back during editing and go, I forgot to ask him this. I should have followed up on that, but it's coming a long way for me, I think. And yeah. even, even friends who have sort of followed the podcasts I've done have gone, Oh yeah, it's like you're way you know, they say better and then that hurts your feelings. Like, was I that bad? <laughs> but, but really, like, I, I knew I was doing this to try to improve something. And if people have that problem, try stuff like this. Go on podcasts if you don't want to start one yourself. But, like, have conversations and really focus on that listening and adapting a conversation to it. That's that's my experience. I don't know, you know, how different it is for you. So, No, man. I mean, you've done a great interview here, mate. And I appreciate what you've done with it. And so... Thank you. And we sure have burned through uh, an hour, just minus the uh, <laughs> minus the parts I promised to cut out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ching. <laughs> yeah. Tell me this just for fun. Two things: mm. if you left the industry tomorrow, what would you do instead? I, I, I could have warned that. you about that question, but you know, yeah, it's more fun. Well, it's, it's, all, it's always a tough one, just because like. Man, like I, you know, I, my my life has been so based around video games. You know, my education was on it. You know, I do a podcast on video games, wrote book and articles about video games. So to say something's like so a part of me to a point where I'm like, and see you later. It's, it's <laughs> such a bizarre one because I don't know really. I'm sure I'd find a passion in something, but like I don't know what. I could do right now out of the back. I mean, maybe I teach video games, but mm -hmm. I don't, it's not where I see myself right now. You know, the, the podcast I think helps a lot of students, which is, Oh sure. You know, incredible. Cause I wish I had this, you know, I, I wish podcast. I'm sure you, you feel the same in the sense. I wish that was more normal back when we were younger. Oh yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's changed so much. And then you're like, Oh, I didn't realize my AC has been on the entire time. I hope that hasn't like messed up the audio. I do apologize. That no, that sh bad. it shouldn't be too bad. I should clean up fine. Okay. Otherwise, it's just me just. I would have said something if it was too bad. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like it's. Uh, I, I honestly don't know, and maybe it's one day I actually do need to sit down and think about it. But uh, I'd love to say like, oh yeah, I'd be an actor very quickly and easily. <laughs> Why not? I wouldn't. 
you know, I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm not as pretty as I once was, and I'm kidding myself and thinking I was once pretty. So, like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question, but it's one I, I guess I just don't have the answer to, mate. I, you, when you say you leave, so if you say leave the industry, do you mean nothing to do with games at all? That would be it. Like, I'm not allowed to touch games. Or do you mean I could teach, I could live off the podcast, or, like, define that barrier for me? I, I would say if if you decided, like, enough games, I don't want to do anything games. Like, if you were going to go start right. gardening or something, I mean, like, like a real drastic change. Yeah, You, you do have lovely plants back. I don't know if they're real. But yeah, they're real. They're real. Keep them alive. Those are nice. Once... Thank you, mate. Is, don't tell the patrons. That's what all their money goes on to. My <laughs> money goes in. <laughs> but, like, uh, I think I actually probably would do something more with nature. Like, I love, you know, the the, the forests back in England were always some of the, the best, really. And then I visited Iceland, I think, like, two years ago. Oh. And that blew my mind. Yeah. And something like that, maybe where I'd be more nature-focused, would probably be something for it. But... Yeah, I, I honestly don't have much of an answer, you know, unfortunately. No, that's so. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, like, it's interesting to hear where your head's at. So the other side of that coin, what are you mm. playing when you're not working? What games are you enjoying right now? Yeah, so I'm currently making my way through Last of Us 2. Nice. So I'm in, like, the second half of the game now. Uh, no spoilers, you don't want to give anything else away. <laughs> and it's been been very good fun. Before that, I finished up Final Fantasy VII Remake. I've been playing a lot of Fall Guys because I have, like, 10 to 20 minutes, you know, just to quickly jump on. Yeah. I suck at the game. I've won twice, but that's it. Like, you know, you're asking <laughs> how many times I've failed. It's not huge. Um, and I've been playing a bit on my Switch as well, Paper, Paper Mario and Super Rocket Boy League. Yeah. Some, I'm going through. What about yourself, mate? What are you playing? I want to start Fall Guys. I'm I'm a big. I have a sort of odd interests, but like I like racing games, so I'm always checking mm-hmm. out. You know, not only Forza, but if I can catch the the last Need for Speed at any given time, I try to do that. I've got Game Pass on the Xbox, so I'm doing a big mm-hmm. variety of like. I, I think it's a good way to keep tabs on like what smaller teams are doing. Like there's usually a, a decent selection of indies on there and stuff. Yeah. Um, I just, I just checked out what was that game? Like the tourist or something like that, but it's kind of a puzzler. I hadn't heard of it, so I wouldn't blame you a bit for not oh. knowing about it, but was it, what, what's it on? Is it on uh, what console is it on? Sorry. This was on Xbox and I, I know it's on others as well. I'm pretty sure, but it's sort of okay. a, a pixelated, uh, more voxel based, and you're running around solving puzzles while you explore these monuments. I may find out I called it the wrong thing and I'll have to correct later. Okay. <laughs> but I, I like checking out quirky little things like that. Yeah. And, and then I go back to Rocket League or whatever I'm doing in the meantime, you know. So yeah. those are mine. So, well, uh, where can folks find you if they want to sort of keep up with you online? For sure, man. So if you want to get in touch with me, the best way is through Twitter. And it's just at Max Pears. All one word. Pears is spelled like the fruit. Uh, if you want to email into my show or anything, you can do so at leveldesignlobby at gmail.com. If you want to listen to more of my smooth jazz voice, let it caress those sweet ears, then you can head over to find my podcast, which you can find on YouTube, uh, iTunes, Google Google uh, Podcasts, Spotify, and, and all the great places. And, uh, oh, obviously, if you want to pick up the book, I will give the link so we can have it down in the descriptions below. Yeah. So uh, for that, but yeah, there we can catch me. 
I hope you did enjoy this. Again, Todd, thank you very much for, for having me on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for being so flexible with schedules and stuff. I, I know this wasn't easy to do, so I appreciate that. Hey, you're not West Coast, so it's not the not the worst time difference <laughs> in the world. Worse, so. yeah, it could have been worse. It could a couple <laughs> hours worse in either direction. Exactly. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, thanks again, and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Take care, mate. Thank you. I want to thank Max Perez one more time. What an awesome guest to have. I don't have to tell you to check out CD Projekt Red or Cyberpunk 2077. I couldn't stop you if I tried. Do grab a copy of Let's Design Combat and take a listen to the Level Design Lobby podcast. If you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, we would love to have you along for the ride. Subscribe anywhere, leave a rating or a review anywhere, hit that follow button on Spotify, and tell a friend if you've got somebody you can think of who might enjoy what we do. We're making new content all the time, so keep playing, have a good one, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks, everybody. Congratulations on your game dev breakdown, whatever that is. Sounds idiotic to me.